All right, let's go. Good nerve Shabbos. So today's Davos Dav Ayin Tess, page 79. In the Heligam Masechus Ktubis, we are already up to Daf Ayin Tess. We started a very interesting story. I want to go back, however, to the beginning of the story. So let's turn back and restart the sugya. It picks up three lines from the bottom of Ayin Ches, Amud B, 78B. Three lines from the bottom. And here we go. We're going to restart the story and see whether a person can dance at two chasnas at the same time. So here we go. Hahi itza, there was a woman. The boy, she wanted the tavrachinul in the chasami She didn't want her husband having any access to her property. So remember this, what'd she do? We ended off the story yesterday. Kisav levarta. She wrote over her property before the marriage to her daughter. And she said, it's yours. I don't, you know, it's yours. She gave it over to her daughter. What happened? In Siva, she then married someone. She, she married this guy. And she got divorced. Top of today's daf. What happened after she got divorced? So now she wants her original gift that she gave to her daughter back. Right? She wants it back. So she came in front of Rav Nachman. And she says, I want it back. What does her daughter say? My dear beloved mom, it's mine. You gave me a present because you didn't want your husband having a chance at inheriting this. So you gave it to me. What's mine is mine. Says the Gemara, what was the Psak? Kare Rav Nachman Rav Nachman told the daughter she must give it back. And he tore up the gift document. He says, you got to give it back to your mom. Now, what's the elephant in the room over here? Is it a gift or is it not a gift? She gave it to her daughter, so it shouldn't go to her husband. Must be a gift. And now her husband's, uh, her, you know, uh, she's divorced. So now she wants it back. So we say, it's not a gift. Can it be a gift and not a gift at the same time? That's what Rav Nachman seems to be paskening. So let's see. Let's keep going. Rav Onon got very upset about this ruling. Forcing the daughter to give it back. Omar Rav Onon, the Kamei de Marukva. Rav Onon went and he snitched to Marukva. He said, Marukva, you know, look what Rav Nachman's doing. Omar Lay said to him, Chazimar Nachman, look at Rabbi Nachman. Master, our, our Master Nachman, he's tearing up people's valid documents and forcing people to give back gifts. What's happening over here? Rav Nachman's giving uh, mistaken rulings. Omar Lay, Sumar Ukva, said, Emily Easy, New, tell me the story. Gufa what really happened? Make sure you get all the facts. Tell me all the details. Omar Lay, so Rav Anon told him, This is what happened. There was a woman, didn't want her husband getting it, so she gave it to her daughter, and then she got divorced, and now that the Rachman made the daughter give it back. Omar Lay, Marukva said, Oh, you're speaking about a document where a woman writes something to keep it away from her husband? Nah, Rav Nachman's right. The son of Idi said, I am a Paisik. I am a Mayra I am the I'm the chief rabbi over here. Whenever a document that a woman writes to keep her her uh, her property away from her husband is written, ultimately I will tear it up. See, here this, Rav Nachman gave this incredible ruling saying that you can give a gift and then take it back. Rav Anon snitches and Marukva says, Rav Nachman's right. Now we still have the elephant in the room and that is, how is this possible? 
How does it work? Is it a gift or is it not a gift? Let's keep going. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, it seems to me it, it, it's not human I feel that she did the right thing but when she did when she did this she was a single woman absolutely so let me ask she was a single woman when she gave it to her daughter she's a, she's a single woman who gives it to her daughter as a present and she gives it to her daughter right so that's, that's, that's a fine that's, that's okay who owns it now one second yeah go ahead it's okay and then the number two, it could, she could say to the daughter at the time, and you know, like wink at her and say, you know, I'm giving you, I'm giving you this because I want to keep it away from. Uh, Beautiful. So one second, I, I like what you're saying. Keep it away from Joe, but like I love Joe. He's a wonderful guy. I want to get married to him, but right. I just don't want him to have everything. What you're saying is that perhaps when the mother's giving it to the daughter, I just want to make sure I'm understanding you. Perhaps when the mother's giving it to a daughter, she's giving it to her with an understanding that the purpose is to keep it away from her future husband, Joe. As much as she loves him, she doesn't want him getting the property. And since that's the tachlis, ultimately at the end, it was never really a full-fledged present. So now... Okay, very good, very good. Let's 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 see how the Gemara is going to end off. That that might be included in the final answer, which we'll get to right before the Mishnah. Okay, but that's a good Teretz. I like I like what you're saying. Now, the the reason why I'm explaining it in a very bothersome fashion is because at this point it seems that it was a full fledged gift. Well, you know, it could be, Okay, you're saying you're saying there's a possibility of having a gift with a backroom understanding. Yeah. Okay, fine. Let's see. Okay. You know, I guess. Says the Gemara. Nachman. So says Nachman. Time am I? What's the reason that taka that the halacha actually is we don't follow this document and the wife could take it back? Because there's a rule, and the rule is. A person is not going to give away all of their possessions while they're alive and become homeless, become poor. Is that why we're saying that the daughter has to give it back? Because there's a chazaka, there's a status that at the time of the giving, at the time of the gift, it wasn't really a gift. One second. That's when you're giving it to somebody else. Somebody writes a document. I'm giving all my possessions away to Yankel. And then they come and they say, I didn't really mean to do that. We say, you know what? There's a chazaka that you didn't mean to do that. That's correct. Nobody's going to leave themselves. No sound person of sound mind is going to write it over to somebody and leave themselves penniless to start from scratch. But over here she gave it over to her daughter. So perhaps when she's giving it to her daughter, where you can give it, it's full-fledged, it's valid, and maybe she's willing to leave herself penniless so that her daughter should have money. Okay, maybe she was assuming the daughter's going to take care of her financially, but at least at the time of the gift, it was a complete gift. So we're back to our question, why are we saying that you could tear up the document and take the money back? Says the Gemara, no, afilu hachi, even if you give it to your own flesh and blood, your own daughter, barta, even in place of your daughter who you might, Love so much, nafsha adifala. You love yourself more. 
So even to a child, a person might give a lot of their possessions and they might give large gifts to their children so that their children can make use of it, but to leave themselves penniless? No. People aren't going to do that. And therefore, if they do give a, all their possessions over to their children, they could come to Bezdin afterwards and Bezdin will say, you know, there's a chazaka, people aren't going to leave themselves penniless. This, this, this star, this document is not valid. Says Gemara, one second. Let, one second. And now we're going to, to channel the conversation to creating a difference between somebody who writes all their possessions or somebody who writes some of their possessions. Because what was the, what was the situation in our story? The woman wrote what? All of her possessions to her daughter? No. She wrote a field to her daughter. Did she leave herself penniless? She didn't. So let's go. Let's, let's see this inside. Perhaps there's a difference between when you write part of your possessions and all of your possessions. Maybe that's a challenging question. Right, uh, a person who wants to, to keep distant her property from her husband. She doesn't want her husband, Joe, to, uh, to have access and to ultimately inherit the property. What should she do? She should write a star pasim to others. Now, star pasim is a type of document. The word pasim is from, is, uh, is to, is to kind of like seduce. Okay? Now, it's like seduction. Now, what does that mean? So, a star pasim is a document that doesn't really have validity, but makes you look good. An example of this is, you buy, a person purchases a car for $100,000 and they don't have enough money to fill up a tank of gas now. Why? Because you're not wealthy. You want to look wealthy. You want to look wealthy. You don't got nothing. So start possums like this. I want to look rich. I want to look rich. Some people want to do it for various reasons. I have a... a um, one of the michutanim connected to our family, not my personal, my kids aren't uh, married yet, but uh, one of the michutanim, uh, financially well off, and uh, in the, made money in the world of Wall Street. And he realized, he, he very, doesn't, doesn't have many needs at all. They live a very, they live, Baruch Hashem, they're, they're blessed to live beneath their means. And, uh, but he realized that for business, when he shows up in his old jalopy to these meetings, people think he's not matzliach. He's not successful because usually people who are earning uh, seven figures uh, annually are driving nicer cars. So he, uh, this is going back to like the 80s, 1980s. So he was driving an old jalopy. So he realized that he has to drive a nicer car, otherwise he's losing out on business. People are like, hey, well, this guy, you know, he pulls up the meeting, this guy doesn't have anything. So he, dis- so he, um, he asked around, like, what sort of car should he get? So he was told to get a Lincoln Town car. A Lincoln Town car. Okay, 1980s. So the problem was, he went to take a Lincoln Town car off the lot, but the car made him nervous. Because he was used to his crank down windows, his roll down windows, and now he gets into the car and there's buttons everywhere. And he's a push at the guy. He doesn't need, he doesn't, it, the whole thing. So he, <laughs> he special ordered a Lincoln Town car with roll down windows and no buttons. 
So he's driving around in this car that's got a whole shell with like a Lincoln thing on it as if he's in a Ganesh Mutzlach. He got inside the car. He got inside it. He's got cranked down windows. He's like, he had an old inside. He, he couldn't handle like anything. He didn't, he didn't want anything else. But sometimes, that's a person that's beneath their means. Sometimes people live above their means. And what happens is like this. You want to look good in business. You want to show up the business and look good. So you know what you do? You walk over to your friend like, listen, buddy, do me a favor. Can you write me a check for $4 million? Write me a check for $4 million. I, I'm not giving you $4 million. I know. But next time I go to a business meeting or next time I'm in a conversation with somebody, I can show them a check written out to me for this amount and it looks like there's money coming in. It looks like I'm, uh, I'm dealing in, uh, in big money. That is star possum. What is it? This is what, this is what Rabiel was mentioning earlier. And that's kind of like a backroom conversation without any real um, intent on following through on this. That's a star possum. So when, a, when um, so the Gemara says, Kate Sahi, I said, what should she do if she wants to write a, she wants to keep her property away from her husband? She should write a star possum to somebody else. Meaning, write some sort of uh, a document saying that it's theirs. When it's not really going to be theirs. The same way this guy's going to write a $4 million check to Yanko, when he doesn't really owe the $4 million. So she could do that too. Kind of like this wink wink that we were talking about earlier. say, no, you can't. If you do that, if you write a document over to somebody else, giving them your field, the person who received the document of the field can laugh at her afterwards. And she gets divorced now. She says, give me back my field. I only wanted it to keep away from my husband. Whoever she wrote it to could say, ha, tough luck. It's mine. You wrote me a document. Unless she writes in the document, it's yours today, and I, but I can take it back whenever I want. Then, then you can take it back. But if you didn't write that, then you can't take it back. Time out, because the reason why you can do this is because she wrote it in the document, according to the Chachamim. If you write, it's yours today until whenever I want it, so that's how she keeps it from her husband. If you didn't write that into the document, we said the guy could laugh at her, so we're back to square one. According to the opinion of the sages, why over here are we saying that whoever, whoever receives the, the, the land can laugh at her when she wants it back, but according to the original psak of Rav Nachman and Marukva, we're tearing up the document and saying, no, the daughter must give it back. What's the difference? If she really wanted it back, she should have written that to the daughter. It's only yours up until I want it. Amar Azir Azir says like Kasha. There's no question here. When she gives away all of the property, then we say, you got to give it back. You got to give it back. Nobody really meant to give it away. This must have been some backroom deal with a wink. However, the, the other Brisa is dealing with where she gave away part of her property. And then we say, according to the sages, it's automatically going to be a valid gift unless you stipulate it otherwise. Unless you wrote a condition in it that I could take it back whenever I want, then it's a valid gift because you only wrote part of it. Says the Gemara, all right. Says the Gemara, now let's get to the elephant in the room. And we're saying like this. According to our Brisa, here's what's happening. A woman's coming into a marriage. She doesn't want her husband getting the field. Right? So what does she do? Write a document to somebody else, to her daughter, 
saying it's your field when it's not really her field. I don't understand something. If it's not really the daughter's field, so then who still owns it? The wife, the woman. So now when she gets married, it should go to the husband. How is it even working to keep it away from him? Ask the Gemara. If whoever she wrote the document to doesn't really acquire it, so now the husband should be getting it. I don't understand. Answer the Gemara. He says, No, because once she writes it away, the husband doesn't know that this is a backroom uh, uh, wink wink, a backroom agreement. And therefore he thinks he's never going to have access to it. And it's going to be considered property that's overseas. And property that's overseas, as we learned yesterday, the husband does not acquire Valibid Reb Shimon according to the opinion of Rebbe Shimon. So interestingly, the Gemara is ending off that the reason why that we're going to tear up the document is because it has to do with the husband having a net lack of knowledge of the halacha, knowing that it's his. So he considers it to be some land that's overseas in Saudi Arabia that he's never going to see, and nor, does, nor is he even uh, aware of. And hence, it never became his. That's why the wife will get it back. Beautiful. Here we go. Next, Mishnah. If she has property that... I'm sorry. If money falls to the woman. Now, it could be a windfall. Uh, it could be uh, an inheritance. However it was. The halacha is, you got to purchase land with it. The husband gets the produce. What we're now going to learn in our Mishnah is, we know by Nechzeh Malug, by property that comes in as Malug property, it remains the domain, under the domain, the ownership of the wife, but the husband has rights to use the produce. Now, land is the number one thing that produces. What happens if a woman comes into marriage with money? So that money is coming in as Nechzeh Malug. She's going to get back that money. Could the husband go and invest that money in a company, assuming the money's going to go up? So our Mishnah says no. Our Mishnah says, here's what you do. You take, call it $100,000, and you purchase real estate with it. Then she owns that real estate because the underlying premise of our Mishnayis over here, of our Mishnahis on today's Dab, is going to be that a property, real estate from all things, is the most reliable throughout history. Okay? It's the most reliable. So in order to ensure that she's going to get back her value that she brought in, we have to turn that into, into land. And then the husband can get, during their marriage, during the time of marriage, as long as they're married, he could use the produce Whatever that land produces is going to go to the husband, like regular laws of nechsei malug. But upon death, upon divorce, this land is going to go back to the wife. All right? Now, that has to do with money. So let's look, read this inside. If she inherits money, we buy land. Whatever the land produces, that goes to the husband. Let's say she inherits um, fruit or any sort of produce that is already separated from the land. So it's kind of like money. It's things that have value, but they, they it will depreciate if you don't sell it. So you look up take whatever whatever she brought in, whatever this produce is, sell it, and take that money and purchase land. She owns the land; he gets the produce. Paris What about this? Ready for this? What if she inherits produce that is not yet ripe? 
It's produce that is still connected to the tree, so, to the land. Is that is that considered land? Or is that considered produce? So, Amar of Meir, Meir says, You look at the land and you say, how much is this land worth with fruit attached to it? How much is it worth without fruit? And the difference between land with fruit, call it $100,000, and land without fruit, call it $80,000. You take that value, and we purchase land, and he gets the produce. Anything that's still attached to the land is considered regular produce and belongs to him, because it's going to ripen and separate when they're, you know, during their marriage. So it's going to be his, like any other produce. Anything that is already detached from the ground belongs to her. And whatever you do, whenever you have something that belongs to her, the halacha is going to be purchase real estate with it, and he'll take the whatever that real estate can produce. Okay. Rib Shimon Shimon says, and this is going to be a little different, but very straight. It's going to be straightforward, but a new psak. Listen to our Rib Shimon's approach. Shimon says, You should know everything has a trade-off. Sometimes you think you're winning, you might win a battle, but you'll win a war. Sometimes you think you're losing, and you end up winning. So he says, in any place where the husband has the gains, the upper hand, when going into the marriage, meaning we're going to consider this produce, and therefore it's the husband's, you should know, He's going to be losing out when it's time for her to walk away. The times where he has the where he's the underdog, he has the lower hand <coughs> on something coming into the marriage. She'll have the upper hand. Now let's explain. That's very vague. Let's explain how this works. Says the Mishnah Ketzad. How is it? What's a case where he's coming in with an upper hand? He goes out with the with the lower hand, or if she's coming in with the upper hand, she's gone. how does that work? Lekarka says Reb Shimon. If she inherits fruit attached to a land, so bichni sasa, when they marry shalai, he's got the upper hand. He's going to get access to that produce. Ubitziyasa, but when the marriage ends, let's say he dies, they got divorced. Shalai, it's going to be hers, okay? Because she's going to receive it back. Now there's if we're saying that the time of they're married. She's going to inherit something. He gets the fruit. So now, if they get divorced, there's now any fruit that's connected to her land, she's going to take back with her land. The husband can't say, one second, there's payrolls connected to the land and I get all the produce. No, no, no. If it's connected to the land and it's my land because we're divorced and I got it back, you ain't getting the fruit, mister. However, anything that was separated from the ground... Produce separate in the ground. So, coming into the marriage, it's hers. And the value will sell to purchase land. And therefore, when they get divorced, once it's separated, it's separated. And therefore, they get divorced, he could keep that produce that came from her land. So, she, she's land, you call it, uh, it's producing, um, it's producing uh, apples. And they get divorced, right after the apple picking season, and now there's a storehouse full of apples, even though they're divorced, the husband can walk off with all the apples. 
because they were detached from the ground at the time of divorce. That's Rav Shimon's opinion. Okay. Says the Gemara, you should know, Zok the Gemara, you should know that this that we say to purchase land, notice there's all different types of land. So what type of land should be bought? So the Gemara is now going to go through various types of land that are more reliable to produce than others. And whichever one is more reliable throughout history, we'll call it, or throughout in, 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 in true reality, to produce whatever that is, that's what they're going to, the Bezdin is going to rule is the type of land that they should purchase. So let's see. Says more, Pshita. It's simple that Ara Ubati, let's say they have fruit to sell. What did we say when you're selling fruit? You purchase real estate with it. So one, the wife says, oh, let's sell the fruit and purchase land. And the husband says, no, 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 let's sell the fruit and invest the principal in homes. It's connected to land. She says, I, I want soil. He says, I want homes. The halacha is ara. Bezdin will say that you purchase land. Okay? It's more reliable to produce in the long run. But David Dickley, let's say one of them wants to purchase homes. They both agree we, it's not a good area to, to purchase land in. One says, let's purchase homes. One says, let's purchase palm trees. All right? You could have date from the trees. You could have sap from the trees. Yeah? Homes and trees. The halacha is bate. Bezdin will say, you got to, over here, we're going to rule, you purchase homes. Because homes are more reliable to produce financially than date trees. Dikla ve'ilani. If one wants to purchase a date tree and one wants to purchase a regular fruit tree, dikli, we're going to purchase a date tree that's more reliable and it's around for longer. Ilani begufani. If one wants to buy fruit tree, another one wants to buy grapevines, ilani. We're going to buy fruit trees again for the same logic. So even within... Even within land, there's different types of levels, and what the Gemara is letting us know is they're going to have to come to an agree- they're going to have to come to an agreement to purchase the more the most reliable type of land that's available for them. Okay. Now, the Gemara is going to ask a very interesting uh, a very interesting uh, question, right? Very interesting question, and the question is going to revolve around this. The Gemara gets into a very interesting question. Ready for this? What happens if she inherits a, a lumber forest? A lumber forest. I don't know if that's what it's called. Yeah. A, a forest a for lumber. Right? It's like the, there's a, a joke of a, uh, this, a, a little uh, pipsqueak sees a, uh, an, ad, an advertisement for a... Um, um, advertisement for a lumberjack. Somebody cut down, uh, c- cut down trees. So he goes to um, he goes to take a proba, right? He goes to try it out, and he, he sits down. There's a the bunch of big dudes, you know, out there with their axes. This little pipsqueak shows up, and the the um, the owner of the company looks at him. He's like, "Oh, really? Like, do you know?" Uh, do you know how to chop down trees? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I chop down trees all the time. He says, really? How many trees do you think you can cut down? He says, eh, you can cut down about 10 trees an hour. Uh, 10 trees an hour. It takes about six minutes per tree. 
Now this guy's company, these guys take uh, two days to chop down one tree. So he looks at this little pipsqueak, and he's like, really? Really? Ten trees per hour, huh? He's like, you ever did this before? He says, yeah. He says, where'd you work? He says, I worked in the Sahara forest. He says, you mean the Sahara desert? He says, well, that's what they call it now. <laughs> Until I was done with it. Right, that's what they call it now. All right, so here's what happens. She inherits land, and this land is a lumber forest. So how do we view the trees? See, usually we're saying a tree is meant to produce. But over here in a lumber forest, the trees are the actual produce. So who owns the trees? You hit us? It's interesting. The husband gets the produce. The wife gets the land. In this type of forest, the produce is the tree. So here we go. Let's, read, let's learn this inside. This is very interesting. Iba Zardusa, if let's say you have a lumber forest, Upeira de Cavre, or a, 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 a pond meant for fishing, a fish pond, okay, where ultimately, once you fish out all the fish, it's just gonna, you're just going to be left with a pond and mosquitoes. So Amri La... Pera, some hold that the trees and the fish are considered the produce. The Amri law and some say no. If the whole field is meant to be lumber and the whole pond is for the fish, so the fish and the and the lumber itself is the is what she owns. That's not the produce. That is what we call the principal matter, because she doesn't need to own an empty fish pond with mosquitoes. She doesn't need to own an, a, a Sahara desert. She doesn't want to be left with a desert at the end. So if the husband's sitting there and taking all these things at the end of a marriage, then they get divorced. Then the end of marriage, you know what he left her with? An empty pond and an empty forest. What's she going to do with it then? Says the Gemara, Kala de Milsa, here's the rule. What rule do we use to give a ruling? Here we go. Gizai Machlef. If it's a type of tree that can grow back. So then, Pera, we're going to consider the trees to be produce because it can restart itself. She's not going to be left desolate. Ain gizoy machlif, but let's say if the trunk does not restart itself, so then, um, Karna, we're going to consider it to be the Karen. Okay. Says the Gemara Viter. Amr of Zerah, Amr of Aishia, Amr of Yanai. Rav Zerah says the name of Aishia in the name of Rav Yanai. Amr of and some say, Amr of Abba, Amr of Aishia, Amr of Yanai. Hagaynev, top of Amr base, a person who steals Vlad Behemas Malug, the child of a Behemas Malug, Mishlam Tashum Ekefer Laisha. You've got to pay double to the woman. Now, Allah is a person, a thief, has to pay back double. So, who does he pay back double? If he, buy, if he purchases, let's say a woman comes into a marriage with a Malug animal. And that animal has produce, has a child. And that child gets stolen. You have to pay double back to the woman. Interesting, right? Because usually the produce belongs to the husband. You think you got to pay the kefel, the double payment to the husband. Over here we're saying it's going to go to the wife. And let's clarify why. Come on, who's this following? Like Rabban of Lake Hanania. Doesn't seem to be like the Rabban or Hanania. The child of a malug animal belongs to the husband. And therefore, when it gets stolen, who should it go to? If there's kefel, it seems to the husband. But the offspring 
of a malug uh, shivcha maidservant is going to go to the wife. She came into the marriage with a maidservant. That maidservant had a child, so that child belongs to the wife. No, they're both the same, and they both belong to the husband. Be it as it may, what's the halachan in either case, in either opinion? What who owns the offspring of an animal of a malug animal? The husband. Both opinions. If the husband is owning the offspring of the malug animal, why is she getting the kethel? Why is she getting that additional payment? His thing was stolen. Says a beautiful answer. Everybody's in agreement on this. Pera, takinu rabbanan. Pera de pera, The husband gets produce of the malug. You know what the produce is? The child of the animal. But if that child gets stolen, and now the thief is busted, and he's got to pay back double, guess what that double payment is considered? Produce of produce. You understand? That the Malug animal produced this child, and now this child produced a double payment by being stolen. So that double payment doesn't go to the husband. That double payment goes all the way back to the wife, because the Rabbanon only gave the produce of the Malug to the husband, not anything that, that is produced by the child. Beautiful. Because he holds that we're not for Misa of the mother animal. Okay? And therefore, we're not, since we're not concerned about the death of the Malug animal itself, so we're going to say, all right, no. It's both considered, uh, they're, they're both considered a produce of the Malug. El But according to the Rabbanon, Ichayish who say, if we're nervous about the, the mother animal dying, So we shouldn't be concerned about the child either. And if we're not concerned for Misa, Even the child of a Shivchas Malug as well. The Gemara is just asking like this. The Gemara says, you know, in the opinion of the of uh, Hananya, of the I'm sorry, the opinion of the Rabbanon in the earlier Brisa, they said that the child of a Malug animal belongs to the husband. The child of a Malug maidservant belongs to the wife. Says the Gemara, why? What's the logic of Malug, child of a Malug animal belonging to the husband, but the child of a Malug um, maidservant Continuing to belong to the wife. Okay. Now the issue over here is that one of the reasons why we don't want the husband having access to the the uh, offspring of the we'll call it the produce of whatever was brought in, because maybe the produce itself white might die. And if the produce itself dies, remember, the husband's obligated to make sure that the wife gets back her value. So we, also, we always want to keep some element of produce in waiting and available as security that in case something, uh, in case the malug itself is gone, we need some sort of security to make sure the wife is paid back. So says the Gemara, according to the Chum, if, we're, if, if you're going to tell me that some of it should be held by the wife, the daughter of the maidservant should be held onto by the wife. Because maybe the, the maidservant's going to die. Same thing by the animal. So Martin says, no, the Misa, really we're not concerned about the death of the principal. The difference is that by animals, there's also the skins. Meaning, if let's say the mother animal were to die, we're still going to say the husband could get the child. 
You know why? Because the wife still has some value. A dead animal has value. You could use the skins. You could use various parts of the animal to give value back. And therefore, the husband will just reimburse. But they have to give back a whole animal. That's not, uh, that's not a possibility. So by an animal, we could say the husband could get it. It's Peseda. We're not so nervous. We don't need to have that same element of security. By a human, we will, we, uh, we will say that it hold, the wife holds on to him. Allah is like Hananiah who says in either case, whether it's an animal or a human or a maidservant, the husband gets it. will agree that if ultimately they get divorced, she can give value to her husband. Granted, it belonged to her husband, but she, can always, she has the rights to buy it back and take it. Because it's considered shvach beisavia, it is something that, that was gained from her father's property, okay, a maidservant, and therefore she's going to ultimately have the rights to take it back. Amar Rav, Amar Rav Nachman, Rav says, in the name of Rav Nachman, that she brought into the marriage uh, a goat. Now he's going to get the produce. What does a goat produce? Milk. What does she bring the sheep into marriage? What does a sheep produce? Um, wool. Or a chicken, for eggs. The dekel or a date palm, for its fruit. He can, he can eat as much as he wants, um, on, even until the keren itself is used up. He doesn't need to be concerned. He has rights to the produce. Aye, the tree's starting to go back, or whatever it is. No, he's allowed to uh, continue to gain from the fruits. Amr of Nachman. Rav Nachman says, Let's say she brought in Malug property like a nice coat. So using the coat is considered produce. The warmth that a coat gives is considered production of this coat. And therefore, he could cover himself and go outside even until it gets worn out. Okay? Come on, who's that holding like? Let's say um, a wife inherits some, uh, an area of land that produces salt or an area of land that's used for sand. This is called peres. This is called produce. All right? It's called produce because this is the purpose of the land. Fine. Pure shell gophers. What about gofris v'melach? Yeah, sulfur, um, uh, and also machfire shel tzarif. It's some sort of other type of. Um, uh, um, Rashi over here said tzarif in in Rashi pure gofris. He says machfire shel tzarif alum belaz. It's some which says tzayvim ba begadim. It's some. It's something in the ground that was extracted, that was pulled out in order to dye different types of garments. And you, you're kind of like mining it. And ultimately, and if you do it uh, enough, Rashi says, Eventually, it'll get used up. So it's a type of, it's produce of the land. But if you take too much, you're going to run out of whatever this land is producing. So what do we consider that? Karen. says that's considered Karen. It's considered the principal land because it, can't, it doesn't replenish itself. It's considered Paris. It's the bottom line is that there's land and there's things that are in the land, things that are produced by the land. This, this is produced by the land. Hence, it's considered produce. 
and the husband is allowed to use it. Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon says, Remember at the end, Reb Shimon said, if he has the upper hand in one coming in, he'll have the lower hand going out, and vice versa. Reb Shimon, Reb Shimon seems to be the same as the Tanakama, where we said that anything connected to, um, anything that's not uh, detached from the ground yet, is going to be considered produce, and will go to the husband. The difference is, fruit that's attached to the land at the time that they go out. Beautiful. Okay, next Mishnah. That are old. So they're not going to be around for much longer. Not going to be around for much longer. That's what she inherits. So now, remember, she's going to own it. The husband gets the produce. So if at any point they get divorced or he dies, she is going to get back all her stuff. So we want to hold on to the value of what's here. That's in her best interest. That's the highest benefit for her. So she's bringing elderly slaves and maidservants. So we say, you know what? We don't know how long this marriage is going to last. But if this marriage lasts more than a few years then she's going to lose all the value of these slaves and maidservants because they're not going to be around. So the halacha is, yimachru, sell them to somebody else. Vilakabem karka, and purchase real estate. Vuaychoperis, and the husband will take the gains of the real estate. No, she came into the marriage with servants and maidservants. That's considered part of her father's home, like we explained before. Something that is, is an integral part of, the father, of her father's estate. And therefore, you don't sell such things. It's kind of like a building that's, that's uh, part of the... Uh, his, it's an historic building. It's historic, but you're not going to knock it down. There's too much meaning. Ah, you, you have more usage out of it in a different way. All right. You, you know, the, these servants and maidservants are, represent the shvach basically. Let's say she inherits old trees and orchards, vineyards. Yimachru also sell them. Vilaka b'am karka, purchase other land. Vuay chalperis. Abudam Rebuda says, Lysim kar b'bnei shahim shvach beisavil. Even land, we can give the same, uh, the, the, same um, the same mindset. And say, this has to do with the chashivas, you know, the, the status of her father's home. These special you know, lands and vineyards and orchards, and you shouldn't sell them either. Amr of Ghana, Marav, Ghana says, The Machlaikas is when um, these lands, these older lands, were inherited near her old fields. That's where we say, you know, maybe don't sell it. Maybe don't sell it. Because even if they don't produce as much later, it's still going to be connected to what the other land that she owns. But if, let's say, she didn't actually inherit the land, let's say somebody else owns the land, she just inherited the trees, and the trees are older, then everybody will agree, Divrei Akol, Timkar, sell the trees, it's going to be used up. You don't own the principal servant and maidservant, it's like, you just, what do you get from a servant and maidservant? Their usage. Their work. And still we see there's a machleg. You see the even when you don't own the actual principle. Rather what we mean is as follows. The machleg is 
when she inherited these older trees, and the land is not hers. The land is hers. Everybody will agree. Light Timkar. Everybody will agree. She should not sell it. Because it keeps up the status of her father's estate. All right. Next Mishnah. Here we go. Last Mishnah. Six lines to the bottom of Ein Tassam Abayz. A person spends money on his wife's property. Okay. Now, what happened? What do you mean he spent money on his wife's property? So, sometimes, not only do you get, not sometimes, very often when you want to receive produce, you get out what you put in. So he's not just receiving the produce, he's also caring for whatever Malug property is here, and he's spending his own money to ensure that the malug remains so that he can get the produce. So he spent money on this field. He hired laborers, whatever it was. Let's say it was a lot of money. He made his initial investment and he bought these big things that are going to seed the field and water the field. They get divorced six months later. He hardly pulled anything out of this field. Kima, or he spent a little bit. They got a lot of produce. Whatever money you invested, you invested. And whatever money you got out, you got out. There's no saying, there's no saying on either end that it's not fair. All right? But let's say he spent and he got nothing. He got nothing. He got nothing back. So then he could take back whatever he spent. All right? What's happening here is for him to claim that he only put the money in because that it was Nikhse Malug and he was trying to produce from the field, he could, only, he, he could only say that if he never got anything. If he earned something, then you don't know why he made his investment. This could have been something... That was very personal on his own behalf or whatever. Hey, no, it had to do with the, with the malug itself. All right? So that's going back to, to uh, the point that Rabiel made earlier, is that if he didn't produce anything, we can't prove him wrong. If it produced something, we could say to him, no, we, we, you know, it's not necessarily like that. Let's, let's wrap up the daf, see if we can even get on to uh, tomorrow's daf. The Kama Kima, how much is a little bit of produce that once he gains that, we say, I get in tug, see you later. Too bad you spent a million dollars on enhancing this land, but you pulled out something. Amar Avasi, I feel Greg Rasachas. He got a single fig that, uh, that he got. It's only true if he ate it, but derech kavod. Okay? It was a, a, a type of fig that he was able to sit down and make like a nice... Uh, a nice meal with. Amar uh, Rav Abba, Rav Abba says, another thing that's a little Amri Be Rav, Afilu Shigra de Tamre, it's a, it's a pressed fig cake. Even if he ate a little fig cake, um, also he can't say that I only did this for the Malug, Boy Rav Bibi, Chutzpah de Tamre Mai. What happens if he, um, if he uh, made a cake out of squeezed dates, you know, which is less, a little less value. What's that considered? Says Teku, we're unsure what the halacha would be in that case. Okay, we'll hold it here for today. Bez Hashem on Matzai Shabbos. We will pick up from here. Have a wonderful, wonderful Shabbos, everybody.